Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening. This is Jordan with Searching Scripture, and today we're going to discuss a very big question. Why does God allow evil and suffering? This is a very big topic, so today I'd like to introduce a very special woman in my life, my wife, Jessica. Hey! So when I told Jessica that this was going to be my next topic, uh, she told me that this was one of her favorite questions, so I thought what better time than to have her join today. Uh, Yeah, so I don't necessarily love the topic of pain and suffering and evil in the world per se. Um, I just like knowing that there is an answer um, for those questions, and just from my own research and looking into the subject, I feel like there are answers, and it's something I feel passionate about sharing, um, just because I know it's a really big and difficult topic for people, and I like I like people knowing that there are some legit, actual answers. So, Jess, you told me that I should look into what Clay Jones has to say about this topic, uh, and I did. So, can you just tell our audience a little bit about who he is? Yeah, so he's someone that I actually originally heard on another podcast, and I really liked what he had to say about suffering, Um, and he's actually a professor from Biola University, and basically specializes in in this topic, and travels the world, speaking at conferences, Um, he's got a couple books out, and he does have a website if you do want to go a little bit deeper into what he has to say. Um, He's at clayjones.net. Perfect. Okay, so yeah, some of the structure of today's episode was built similarly to what he had to say. Um, But also, before we start, I want everyone to know that this question is not one that is easily answered. Um, And for that, for the sake of like the length of the episode and really who a majority of my listeners are, we're mostly just going to be covering some of the main points rather than creating more of a debate. Um, If you are looking for something that is more of a debate structure, then you should go look up Clay Jones um, on YouTube, Why Does God Allow Evil? Um, Or you can also go to the website that Jess just listed so that you could get a more in-depth commentary on the topic. So diving right in, the question again is, why does a loving, merciful and all-powerful God allow evil and suffering? So to answer that question, we're going to have to look at four different categories. The first is why we are suffering for the fall of Adam and Eve. And for this, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. Um, In the beginning, God created a perfect, sinless world. He created Adam and Eve and told them they can do whatever they wanted, they can eat whatever they wanted, but just not from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 3, 2 uh, through 6, it says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So notice how later on in the verse, it also says that Eve gave some to her husband, Adam, that was right there with her. Yeah, so Adam was standing right there the entire time, and he actually did not step in 
or try to stop her. So he was just as guilty of causing the sin, just in case there's any doubt about that. And this is a whole other topic we can go into. Maybe we'll do that another time. But I just need to throw that in there. (laughs) Yeah, good point. So uh, before I actually read the Bible, really, um, I just knew the story of Adam and Eve. And I used to actually think myself that uh, Eve was there alone with the serpent and uh, she basically tricked Adam into eating it um, later. uh, So we know that that's not really the case. Yeah. And basically what the serpent was saying to Adam and Eve um, is that God is holding you back. He doesn't want you to be like him. Um, He knows if you eat this fruit that you yourselves will be like God. Right. And from the moment that Adam and Eve took a bite from that fruit, uh, essentially sin and death was conceived, and we've been attending funerals ever since. So uh, we all come down this long line of Adam and Eve, and because of that, we are all born sinners. And I know what some of you might be thinking, you know, how can a newborn baby that's one of the most innocent things on this planet already be a sinner? Well, it's because that newborn's parents were sinners, So the child is born into sin. And so God warned Adam and Eve that if they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would certainly die. But what he didn't say was, in your sleep at the ripe old age of 80. So death doesn't care how old you are. Death can come for you at eight weeks, at eight years, or eight decades. And the reality is that just sucks. You know, uh, it sucks to lose a loved one or a friend, or a child. Uh, We were not meant to have the burden of knowing good and evil, and from evil comes death, and now we know it all too well. Yeah, so the whole point is that the fall caused our world to be broken. So not only do we have death, but the actual earth is cursed. You know, now we have to work for our food, we experience pain in childbirth, we have wars, Our bodies fail and deteriorate, deteriorate, we get sick, um, and it all comes as a direct result from the sin of our first parents. So we have to keep this in mind. Like, this is the world we live in now. The world is broken, um, and we have to view it through that lens because that's what our reality is. Um, It is important to understand that the point is that this is not how the world was supposed to be. It's not what God originally intended for us. And it's because of the choices of Adam and Eve and because we come from their line that we live in this fallen place. All right. So someone might ask, why did God even let Adam and Eve eat the fruit? Why didn't he stop them? Or why did he even put that tree there in the first place? Uh, Well, that leads us to our second category, which is free will. God created human beings to have free will. It's the ability to make significant moral decisions. It's impossible to give a human being free will, but not allow them to use it wrongly. This would be like us telling our son that he can have whatever he wants in the fridge, but I put a big padlock on it and hid the keys. Uh, That doesn't sound like free will to him. So God could have stepped in and, I guess, killed off Adam and Eve created two new versions to try a second time around in hopes that 
they would choose to obey him and not eat from that tree. Um, but God didn't create human beings to be mindless and under his control of never committing sin. That always had to be an option. Um, so if God created a world where he would just step in when someone intended to do evil, that would be a world where our actions actually didn't matter. True. Yeah, um, God, God could change everyone's personality so that, you know, we were unable to sin, which would take away our free will, our ability to make decisions ourselves, and really whatever consequences should come with them. If God had essentially programmed our brains to only do what is right, then there'd be no true relationship between him and us. Mm-hmm. Um, God has chosen to give us the ability to choose to love and obey him rather than forcing us to. Adam and Eve did choose to sin, which has affected everyone since them up until today. Much like Adam and Eve's sin, our daily sins can affect the world around us, yes. you know, whether we know it or not. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So basically, yes, Adam and Eve kicked off the start of sin, but essentially we are not blameless in continuing the sin because we do it every day. Yeah. So let's for fun say that in this ideal world, God decided that he was going to intervene every time something evil or wicked was was going to happen. Um, Maybe he stopped a drunk driver from killing an innocent couple. Or maybe he would keep a terrorist from blowing up a building or hijacking a plane. Um, If we allow for God to step in and intervene on these actions of evil, where should we then expect him to draw the line would be the question. So, like, does he also stop what we consider to be the lesser evil since it's still evil? Or maybe it could be what leads to something much more evil. Um, If this was the case then God would have to stop everyone from ever getting drunk, period, for example, because getting drunk could lead to that car accident. Or maybe he would just take away drinking altogether so we don't have to deal with what alcohol could lead to. That's the case, and we also have to ask, should God only stop murder, or should he also keep someone from hating someone else, since scripture tells us that even being angry with someone is like murder in your heart. What about adultery? Should God only interfere with an actual affair? Or should he step in with the thing that might lead to an affair? Should God stop bullies from picking on kids at school so that we eliminate the possibility of kids coming to school with guns? Essentially what we're leading towards here, again, is if God is going to step in and stop what we consider to be evil, shouldn't he also stop what we consider to be the lesser evil? And if that's the case, then we are back to a perfect programmed world where we have no free will, we cannot sin, and therefore have a meaningless relationship with God that took no effort or faith on our end. Yeah. Um, Another alternate world uh, God could have created was one where the sole purpose was for everyone to always be happy. And all that mattered was at the end of the day, everyone could go to bed saying, No, boy, today was a great day. Mm -hmm. But God would not be a loving God if he didn't judge sin and only cared about our happiness. C.S. Lewis says in his book, Problem of Pain, 
I do not think I should value much the love of a friend who cared only for my happiness and did not object to my becoming dishonest. So, in other words, what good would a friend be who says, yeah, I don't care how many times you cheat on your wife as long as you're happy each day. You know, I feel like that's the same as how could God be loving if he didn't care about anything other than our happiness. Okay, so the third category that we need to look at is understanding the depth of human sinfulness. Humanity is inherently evil. Our hearts are wicked. Our thoughts are wicked. Uh, We are born into sin and surrounded by Satan and his desire to rule this earth. So since the beginning of time, we have seen all kinds of evil in the world. And the evil is ignited by the choices that wicked human beings make. So some examples, you know, we had in 1994, there was the Rwanda genocide that killed, you know, uh, 800,000 people. 1971 to 1975 was the Cambodian genocide, killing over 3 million. And of course, the Holocaust, where Hitler had roughly 6 million Jews killed in unspeakable ways. Um, This was roughly two-thirds of the Jewish population in Europe. One million of those were children. And in fact, the Nazis didn't take any pity on the children because they were afraid that they'd grow up and become a threat. Makes me sick. So interesting fact was uh, Hitler actually was collecting Jewish artifacts to build a museum of an extinct race, which is just disgusting when you think about it. Yeah. You know, he was preparing ahead of time because he knew he'd be responsible for killing off an entire race. You know, this was Hitler's plan. He wanted the Jewish people completely eliminated from the face of the earth, and everyone knew that even before voting for him. Um, There was a Jewish boxer named Salomo Aruch, Uh, who was imprisoned in Auschwitz and forced to fight other prisoners. The losers were executed. So Salomo survived two years until the Allies liberated the camp. So can you imagine knowing that you not only had literally to fight to the death um, on a routine basis, but likely that there was no one there that could beat you? I mean, this guy was a professional boxer. So every time you quote one, a fellow Jew would die. So what's interesting is that Clay Jones tells us is that 100% of genocides have started because one group has thought that they were born better human beings than another. Uh, For example, Hitler was convinced that the Jews were disgusting and an inferior design of human beings and just wanted them gone. But the thing is, is we're all born the same. We're all born into sin. Yep. You know, by nature, we're going to lie, disobey our parents, steal, lust, be angry or hateful towards another. We do all this because our hearts are wicked and we live in a fallen world. But here's another thing that Clay Jones had said, and it's really something to think about. If we'd been born in a different country or grew up under different circumstances, we'd never be had the option to, you know, become saved, then reality is is any one of us had the human capability of becoming a Hitler. 
that's just the grace of God <laughs> that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're not that only because of him, not anything or any reason for ourselves. Um, so if we start seeing the world through the lens of the fall that happened back in the garden, we actually will start seeing us human beings for who we are, which is not good, but actually evil. Um, again, we're all born into sin. And when we understand this, we can stop thinking of the world as mostly good with just a few bad apples. We start to see that there's something wrong with humanity. And then it actually changes the question of why is God doing this or why is there evil to, wow, God is actually really patient with us. Yeah, definitely. Um, so now I want to explain from a biblical standpoint why I say that none of us are actually, quote, good. Um, first, there's a difference between niceness and goodness. One example that I got from Clay Jones was when someone says, well, what about the nice old granny who cooks cookies for the children around the block? Do you not think that she is good? And his response was, well, I'm sure somewhere in the South, there's a KKK granny making cookies for all the little white children in their groups. Does that make her good? Doing a good act does not make someone good. It might make them nice, but not good. So when people ask why bad things happen to good people, we can start to see the question a little differently. Um, When you're able to understand the depth of human sinfulness, you don't ask that question anymore because nobody really asks why bad things happen to bad people because nobody actually really cares. (laughs) True. Okay, so let's take a look at a couple verses here. Uh, Romans 3.23 says... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. In Luke 18.19, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And also C.S. Lewis says, God is good and God can give good things, but God cannot need or receive good. So Jesus himself has told us that no one is good except God the Father. So do you really think that Jesus was wrong by saying that? Or is it possible that through the eyes of our Heavenly Father that there really truly are none who are good? Um, You know, we as humans are deceived by only being able to look on the outside of a human being and not at their hearts or their minds. You know, how many times in the course of history have they been interviewing the friends and family of a serial killer uh, and, you know, they said, oh, he seems so normal. I can't believe he was capable of doing such a thing, you know, but God can look past the mask that people wear and the fake life stories and and see their true hearts and thoughts. Um, You know, God is not fooled by outside actions. So I've seen... Many different segments about how someone, you know, is getting asked if they think they're a good person. And there's this one test that comes up more than others that uh, I'd really like to try out on Jess. It's kind of a good way to find out whether someone thinks, you know, that they are good or not. So, Jess, if you're okay, uh, I'd like to try it with you. Okay, so Jess, has there ever been a time in your life that you lied to somebody? Uh, babe, how many people are listening to your podcast now? 
You want to make me admit to everybody? <laughs> yes. Yes. The answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what does that make you? Um, a liar. Okay. And so Jess, has there ever been a time in your life uh, that you have ever stolen anything, no matter how small? Mm, I mean, yes. Okay. And so what does that make you? A stealer. Or, I mean, a thief. <laughs> or whatever thief, you want to call right. it. Right. But no, you're actually a lying thief. Uh, okay. No. I'm going to okay. group them all together, are we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, lastly, have you ever hated someone before? Yes, sadly. Okay. Say. Well, Scripture tells us that even hatred is like murder in the heart. So, at the beginning of this, you claimed that you were good. Mm-hmm. But according to God's standards, you're a lying, thieving murderer at heart awesome (laughs) so when that day comes and you stand before god uh and you are judged do you think you're going to be guilty or innocent definitely guilty yeah exactly and this is why we need jesus guys because jesus's death you know our sins can be forgiven and we can be made clean in the presence of god and can become innocent on Mm -hmm. judgment day so this is why it's so so important that we make it clear that thinking you are good will not get you into heaven. So, Jess, I'd like to talk a little bit about self-interest before we get to our fourth category. Um, Self-interest is the idea that people choose not to do bad things for selfish reasons. For example, why is it that the average spouse, when given the chance to mutually sleep with another individual, won't do it? You know, is it strictly because of their faithfulness to their spouse? Or is it because they think, I don't want to get caught? Or I don't want to risk getting them pregnant. I don't want to get a divorce. I don't want to only see my kids part-time. I don't want to have to move out. Um, It's not just for moral reasons, Mm -hmm. but because of self-interest. Right. They're not making those choices because they're a good person. They're making it because they don't want to be get themselves in trouble basically right john three fifteen says anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and if you hate someone why don't you just kill them right well we obviously know it's not because you care about them you just said that you hate them um i think that that would be because of your self-interest like i don't want to go to jail for murdering someone i don't want to lose my family um or i don't want to be executed myself right or as brian regan would put it I don't have the time to do that crime. (laughs) (laughs) For all the Brian Regan fans out there. Uh, So these calculations in our mind are about self-interest. In this world, what we have are a bunch of lying, thieving, adulterers, and murderers uh, at heart, of course, who are are not actually acting it out due to their own self-interest, yet they think that they are good people. So... You know, now we're getting to the final category um, to answer today's question. And uh, what is that category, Jess? Yes, it's the best part. And this would be um, appreciating the promise of eternal life and the end, the end game, the big picture. Yeah, that's exactly right. So on this earth, we are all learning how to conquer sin and handle the struggles we might experience. Um, You know, there are people who are going to be listening that have gone through some very difficult times in their life. 
and times that make them angry at God or maybe even question him. Uh, I can never tell someone how to feel or how to handle their relationship with God when one goes through such tragedy. But what I can do is let them know that, you know, God can create uh, good out of bad without us even being able to see it uh, right away or even at all. You know, an example is Jesus died a brutal death and, you know, at the time no one really understood why this innocent man had to die this kind of death. Uh, they didn't see that how this pain and suffering then would lead to our eternal salvation as Christians today. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes the pain and suffering you experience maybe down the road after you've been through it, you know, it can be used to communicate with someone else that might be going through something similar. Um, you might be able to use it to share the gospel with them and just to give them hope, you know, that they can experience eventually one day a, a time with no pain and suffering. Yeah, if, if you're able to look past the evil in the world and the struggles you might be facing and step back and see God's entire plan, you know, you can see victory over evil in the end. And that's one of the reasons Revelation is one of my favorite books in the Bible is because the entire book says victory, you know, um, and that's just really great to read. I know some people might be scared off from reading it. Maybe they don't understand it, but I tell you, it's it's so, so cool because it just shows God's promise of victory in every way you read it. We win. Yep. So, um... Basically, in the beginning, God created a perfect world. Adam and Eve made the decision using free will to disobey God and therefore brought sin and death into a now fallen world. And then God sent his son to die on the cross and conquer sin. And he's currently restoring us in preparation for the world that he will make new. You see, the perfect world without sin and evil that everybody wants is the world that God first created yes. before the fall, and it's the world that God promises us to come. Yes. Now, I do want to make it clear that you know God hates sin, and he hates the evil in this world. Mm-hmm. But fortunately for us, God is also patient. Um, you know, but one day he will have his day of justice. If you look at Romans 12, 19, it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Um, and that's a scary thought. You know, I've done yeah. a lot of <laughs> studies now on Revelation, and, and uh, boy, you don't want to be here for God's wrath, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so just know that God isn't sitting around doing nothing, and he isn't just slow to handle evil. Uh, he is purposefully patient. Uh, allowing more believers to come to him. Second yeah. Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Amen. So, Jess, could you do the honors of kind of wrapping up with a brief overview? Sure. So, I guess, um, and just thinking about everything... It's just so important, I think, for us as believers to keep the big picture in mind. 
Like, we have to be able to look back at the garden and see why evil came into the world. Um, You know, I think often we blame God for evil or for not stepping in, but we have to understand that, one, his intention was never for us to experience pain and suffering, and two, because of Satan and ourselves as humans and how we are, um, we're actually more responsible for the evil here than God is. So we're dealing with a fallen world because of sin and all that entails. And we're dealing with fallen people who have free will and who sin. And that's why sometimes these horrible things happen. And we've got to keep the hope at the end, at the forefront of our hearts and minds. Um, and just something else I think that's crucial, something we didn't really touch on, um, but I think that's really important is the Bible talks about how God draws near to us in our pain and our suffering. You know, Jordan mentioned earlier that there's going to be a lot of people listening who've gone through some really tough things, and none of this is to minimize that. This is like the theology behind evil and pain and suffering. Um, But the heart of God, this is something that we can hang on to when we are going through really hard times. Uh, Psalm 56, 8 says... God keeps track of all my sorrows. He collects all my tears in a bottle. He records each one in his book. Psalms 34, 18, which is one of my favorites, says God is near the brokenhearted. He's close. He's so close he can hear your heartbeat. And then in John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible, as some of you might know, um, it says that Jesus wept. And he wept because his friend Lazarus had died. And he mourned with with the family and with his friends um he would then raise Lazarus from the dead if you know the story which he would have known was his plan all all along um but yet here we see Jesus stepping into the grief stepping into the pain to comfort and to be close to his friends and this this is the God of the Bible who promises to walk with us through anything we might endure um And we do have the promise that one day at the end, he will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And that's what we have to look forward to and what we, what we need to keep our eyes set on. And that's not to say that we won't be angry with him or still ask questions, um, of why when we're in the pit of despair, you know, that's a totally normal and valid response. Just know that and understand that he gets it, he's been through pain and suffering himself on the cross, and he's right there with you, big enough to handle your doubts, your questions, your fears, um, but also close enough to comfort you and hear your heartbeat, which is pretty profound. Yeah. Yeah, great overview, babe. Nice job. Thanks. So, okay, well, that (laughs) does it for this episode. I just want to thank you to my beautiful wife for joining me and uh, we will actually be doing the next episode together as we have our five-year anniversary coming up and uh, we'll be discussing a christ-centered marriage um, between a husband and a wife and what is marriage why it's important um, and what the bible and what scripture has to say about it and it's not Not that we're experts by any means, but just some things we've learned along the way and things that we believe are important. Yeah. Yep. So thanks for listening. Yeah. Click follow so you can see when a new episode drops and uh, we'll catch you next time.